You're listening to the Biz Babes with Soul podcast with your host, Melody Spencer, a show where female entrepreneurs get radically honest about life and business. Today's episode is sponsored by Swiftly Social Digital Marketing. Swiftly Social helps people create a heart-centered digital marketing and Facebook ads strategy that gets you results. For a free video tutorial on how to grow your Facebook following by 10,000 or more, visit swiftlysocial.com. Welcome to the Biz Babes with Souls podcast. I'm your host, Melody Spencer, and I'm super excited to have Jennifer Longmore here today. So Jennifer and I met through LinkedIn, crazy, but she and I feel like we've known each other for a long time. We have a lot (laughs) in common, and I think you guys are going to love her. She is a money mindset mentor and coach, and she's going to drop some knowledge on you guys, and share a little bit about how she got where she is today. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Melody. I'm really glad to be here. And yes, thank you to LinkedIn. For anyone listening right now, like I didn't even really, I don't know about you, Melody, but I didn't even really, I've always had a LinkedIn account, Mm -hmm. but there's no real rules of engagement. So it's kind of just this thing, right, that you have to figure out and figure out how you're going to make it work for you. And I... I like to make my own rules, but I would also like someone to kind of set the tone for LinkedIn because I still feel like it's the wild, wild west and nobody really knows what to do there. But every so often you'll connect with someone and you're like, I'm just going to reach out. I feel like I'm meant to connect with this person. So screw it. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah, exactly. I, I keep telling people to utilize LinkedIn because it's a little bit... It's a little bit different than Facebook. Uh, People are a little bit more professional, but also I have found that people are a little bit more um, interested in collaborating and doing things together for business. You don't always get that on Facebook. Facebook seems a little bit more competitive. So yeah, thanks to LinkedIn. I learned this from one of my colleagues. Like, LinkedIn is such an underutilized tool because they have better SEO than Facebook. Like mm-hmm. if for no other reason, if you're not going to use LinkedIn, like at least make your profile look pretty and let people know how to find you because they're probably more likely going to find you on LinkedIn if they Google your name versus actually try to like just find you in your actual website. So, um, but LinkedIn I found is that, and I learned this years ago, but I didn't really get it, that all of the decision makers are on LinkedIn. When you're on Facebook, other than like my personal page or your personal page, you're actually getting me. But if you're in Facebook groups, more likely than not, your social media manager is likely engaging with someone else's social media manager and they're having footsie back and forth on your behalf saying, yeah, oh, that's a great post. You know, like you're not necessarily dealing with who you think you're dealing with, but you're absolutely dealing with the CEOs and the decision makers when you're on LinkedIn. So you're more likely to get, it's, it's just kind of more of a direct line of communication. I feel like it's, and because as business owners, we're more decisive, I feel like things get done really quickly on LinkedIn. Whereas on Facebook, you end up playing footsie for a really long time before you eventually take things offline. 
Yeah, that is 100% true. I've been able to reach out to CEOs and marketing managers and all kinds of people on LinkedIn because they're actually the people behind their accounts. You're right. On Facebook and Instagram, it's almost always an assistant, which is great. Like, good for them for outsourcing. I mean, I outsource stuff too. But LinkedIn is a little bit different, and I like it like that. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not trying I to be a plug you. for LinkedIn, but hey, LinkedIn, if you'd like I to know. my podcast, please. Reach I out. don't really know much about LinkedIn, but why don't we just talk about it for like <laughs> the next half an hour? <laughs> and so, you can learn the laywoman's approach to LinkedIn. Actually, uh, one, of, one of my friends, Kim Patrick, is a LinkedIn specialist, and she's amazing at getting leads on LinkedIn. So I'm going to have her on the show in a few weeks. So you guys look out for that one. If you want to know more about LinkedIn, she's your, your lady. Um, anyway. Yeah. Well, you're welcome, Kim, for the lead in. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's talk about you because that's why you're here. Um, tell everybody a little bit more about you and let's talk about how you got where you are. Well, I am. Um... Interestingly enough, I worked as a public servant for many, many years. I worked as a forensic investigator. And um, when I was in that job, I realized, oh my goodness, if I have to do this for the next 40 years, because the job stands for just over broke, right? It really is. It doesn't matter how many raises you get. There's all, you always manage to find a way to more than spend your paycheck, whether it's constantly donating to someone having a baby shower and this kid's raising money for selling chocolates for their hockey thing. There's just, you have to have wardrobes that match every season and there's just always something right. And always getting invited out for lunch and the, and the obligatory after dinner meetings and all kinds of stuff. So I was always making just enough to get by. I mean, just enough or not quite enough to get by. And I was in my early 20s and I thought, good Lord, if I have to live like this for the next 40 years, this is not going to be fun because this job is already burning me out. I have adrenal fatigue. This is not sustainable. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And my income is not going to dramatically increase over the years. If anything, there's going to be government cutbacks. So what am I going to do about this? And I always wanted to get into business doing more of the healy feely woo woo stuff that I've been doing for a long time, but I didn't even know it was an option. I didn't, I thought I was just waiting for the job post to appear, right? Like one day I'd be (laughs) lucky and trip over some company looking for a Reiki master or something until I started meeting people that were doing what I loved and they were creating their own reality. But the thing is like most of us were taught that the only noble way to make money is to have a job and to work hard for your money and to work hard for being deserving of the money that you have. So I left that job and I went into corporate and did uh, sexual harassment investigations and fraud investigations for about two years just to give my adrenals a break. I could truly work nine to five. And in the evenings, I started going to networking events and just hanging out with these, what I thought were aliens, right? Like they were speaking this foreign language. The way they lived was very foreign to me. What do you mean? How do you survive if you're not in a nine to five container? I don't speak your language. What are you talking about? And, um, And so after about the two years, I realized, oh, like I'm getting used to this lingo. I don't feel like an outsider anymore. I actually feel like I can do this. But then ultimately, as we all know, when we start a business, there's never a perfect time. There are some times for sure that are not as good as others. But ultimately, at some point, you have to just take the leap and trust the net will catch you, which is what I did. And 
I did what most people do, which is I put my business card, in my case, I put my business cards up in a few health food stores and um, I told a few people that I was open for business and I thought, you know, that the client stork was just going to pick people up, drop them off on my doorstep, pick them back <laughs> up when I was done with them. And I would never, you know, like so ridiculous, but we, we all know what it takes. It's just uh, the, the stories that we have behind that. Right. So I, I, as an introvert, and I know you are as well, Melody, I thought, Oh, I would talk myself up to it the night before. Oh, you're going to go to that networking event. You're going to make it just do it. Come on, suck oh, it up. Yeah. You've dealt with worse in your life. And then that day would come and I'd magically have a sneeze or I'd be like, oh, I've got to get groceries or, oh, I've got to put gas in my car. And, you know, sure enough, I wouldn't go to these networking events. But after about two months of that, I started getting really bored of Groundhog Day because my fear became so boring that it actually became comical. Like I was literally getting up every day, going down to my computer, checking emails that were going to be non-existent because nobody knew I existed and waiting, you know, waiting for some fairy to come and like wave her wand over my business or whatever. <laughs> and then finally I thought, well, fear isn't moving me forward. This is doing nothing for me other than making me feel like Groundhog Day. So what would happen if I just gave zero, you know what, and I just went from a place of awe and wonder and everything I did, every speaking gig I went after, every networking event I went to, every um, endorsement I went after, every colleague I tried to collaborate with, I just went in from a place of let's see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. What's the best that can happen? And the cool thing about that was that it actually made me way more magnetic. And I was getting clients left, right, and center at networking events, not because you even should expect that, but there must have been a vibe I was giving off, right? Where I was in my leadership energy, I was completely unattached. So people didn't feel like I was pouncing on them like most people do at a networking event. Yep. And I was genuinely interested in learning something new. I would just go from a place of like, oh, I wonder who I'm going to meet today. I wonder what cool stories I'm going to hear. I wonder who I can help today. And I ended up getting a ton of clients from those networking events. I ended up, I certainly got no's from like reaching out to different places to see if I could speak. But what ended up happening was I manifested my five-year business plan in about three months. Wow. And that was weird. And it's weird because I didn't even think my five-year plan would come true. We all do that, right? We set goals and we're like, yeah, but this probably won't happen. Maybe 10% of it will happen and I'll be good with that. But it all came true and it all came true quickly. And I've since learned to do this, but at the time I didn't know that I should always stay in the question of what's next. So I stalled, right? And I was bottlenecked to my business because I had a full waiting list which is a great problem to have. I was already yeah. making six figures and this was back in the day when social media didn't exist and websites weren't really a thing and you had to build your business the old school way, going and doing speaking gigs and yeah. going to trade shows and all that stuff. So I, uh, and then on top of that, I had to get used to having money in the bank. I was so used to not having money in the bank and treating money like a hot potato that I did. I was so <laughs> uncomfortable just seeing it sit there doing nothing. Right. I was, it was almost like I was treating it like a person and viewing it as lazy. So I had to give myself permission to let it grow and realize that at some point I'm going to need to reinvest that into the business and you know, my own growth and so on. And, uh, but I still, for years, didn't hire anyone. I didn't even hire my first business coach until about year five. And that's one of the, my biggest regrets. I don't live from a place of regret, but I will say that it would have just created so much speed for me and saved me so many wasted years of just sitting and bottlenecking in my own business because I didn't know, I didn't know how to move out of a growth phase into an expansion phase, yep. right? Most of us will 
stay in the startup phase. Even when we're like five years in, we still treat our business like a startup and it can't grow if we keep treating it like a baby. I was still treating my business like it was in growth phase. So it couldn't grow, even though it desperately wanted to grow. It was pushing me to grow. And I still was like, no, I hired my first person, learned a lot from that. And so, you know, over time here I am and I've, I've done really well in my business. And one of the things that I struggled with uh, after I hired the coach actually is that I quadrupled my income. And that was a weird thing for me because I was already uncomfortable still, not as uncomfortable, but I was still uncomfortable having more money than I needed. And then now it was like, holy crap, I've done all of these things to get my business to where it needs to be. And I don't even need this much money. Why am I doing this? Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should pull back. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And, um, and what I learned is a lot of women go through that once they reach, you know, mid six figures or higher is that you start to slow things down unless you know what's next because you really don't need much to survive, right? Maybe even just to live a decent lifestyle, maybe 5k a month, right? Like nothing crazy. And, um, so I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with all this money that was coming in. That was just my cue to recalibrate my why. That's also when I learned how to make my money work for me. Cause I also had the awareness of, geez, I'm never going to get out of this rat race if I always have to be the one making money in my business, right? Like exactly. at least my business can make money for me and at least my money can go to work and make money for me. So I hired a mentor to teach me how to invest in the stock market and I hired a mentor eventually to teach me how to invest in real estate. And now my life is completely different because even though I was showing up from a place of service in my business before, because I really don't need the money now, I just you know, obviously I have to charge people money because they won't get any value out of it, right? If they're not, if they're not placing value on what they're receiving. Yeah. But I really can be unattached to the sale. And I think that's why I end up making so many sales because I have so many other ways to generate income that my business at this point is now more of a legacy business for me than it is an income generator, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm interested to hear about the whole investing thing because investing scares me because yeah. it's so risky. And how did you kind of get over that initial fear of, again, not being attached to the sales, but also not being overly attached to, to the investments, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first thing that I had to do, what, and not all investments are created equal. So if you find the right person, like the person I mentored with was teaching women how to manage their own money. And you're still going to screw up. I screwed up because I actually am a little bit dyslexic. So I actually misread the chart and I bought high when I should have bought low. Oh no. So, yeah. And so you make those kind of mistakes, but it's better than, because one of the things I teach as a money mindset person is we need to be able to look money in the eyes. And we have to clean up our, our money house in order to finally be able to do these things because we're never even going to balance, like we're not even ready to talk about investments if we're not even willing to look at our bank account and see what's coming in and what's going out. If we're not willing to look at what is my business making and what is it spending and is it viable and what's my actual net worth and all those kind of things we need to know as a business owner. Mm -hmm. So once we start to look that stuff in the eye, then we're able to feel better about looking investments in the eye. And I would rather lose money because of choices I've made rather rather than because of some completely unattached third-party investment broker that's been assigned to my case by the bank that gives zero you-know-whats about me, yeah. right? Like I'd rather at least screw it up. But there's a way to assess your risk tolerance 
I'm kind of a, a hybrid because I do like long-term investments and I invest really well. I also invest in equity stocks. So I have those stocks pay me back, but I've just started learning how to do day trading, which is risky, right? And so there's a way to mitigate risk within a very volatile industry. And as it is right now, the stock market is really volatile. And this full moon incidentally just highlighted the fact that there's a lot of volatility in the air in general, and it is going to affect the stock market. And I think people have been noticing that. But I felt like it was an adult thing for me to do. Like I just felt like more of an adult when I really learned how to talk about money. And I also really believe that money is just a tool. And the problem that we have as women especially is we make money mean something that it's not. And that's why we struggle with it. We yeah. unknowingly treat it like the boyfriend that let us down or our parents that screwed us over or, you know, someone like a teacher that that judged us and said we'd never amount to anything. Like there's always some unconscious projection we have in relationship with money because how we do one relationship is how we do all relationships. So when we really come to a place where we get that money is just a tool and it can be a part of our dream team, then we can have more fun with it. But until then we end up doing a lot of pushing and pulling with it because, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> we, we're unconsciously attached to it. Yeah, that's so true. I'm thinking about myself even years ago and even, you know, more recently. And then friends, I think most people I know are terrified of money. It's like, oh, it's let us down. It's something we have, as soon as we get it, we have to spend it because we don't, we don't want, we don't know what to do with that. We're terrified of losing it or terrified of not having enough of it. It's just this whole mishmash of fear and anxiety around money. Um, and that's mm -hmm. something I've definitely been working on the past year. It's gotten better. It's still not great, but I'm also learning that that comes from a place of, um, that's how it has always been in my family. So it's just kind of carried over. Mm -hmm. to so yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I get it. I mean, even when I look back over my business journey, I did everything in person. That's how I grew my business. I started local and then all my local, local clients had relatives and friends all over the world. And before you knew it, the majority of my business was global and it was on the phone, but I was still acting like a local business. And mm -hmm. then I had to make the, then I realized, so I have to make the transition to just being on the phone because it's taking up too much of my time to drive to these different offices that I was renting. And, and I also was raising my rates and I was shifting from a call me when you need me business model to an actual coaching package model, which was, in and of itself a huge stretch as we all know, right? When we go through those massive income boosts. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I started teaching classes online, I was making way more money for the same amount of time. And then I felt bad. I was like, well, I should be doing more for people. I've been taught that I have to be this, you know, the servant in my business and be the slave girl and give way more than mm -hmm. I need to. And I, it felt weird to receive, you know, like $20,000 for a four week, coaching program that took four hours of my time. Intellectually, we think we want that. But when you're not used to that, and when you're used to having to work really hard to serve a group of four people, let's say, I'm just making that up, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's a big adjustment. And then on top of that, when you finally give yourself permission to turn that program from being a live program into an evergreen program and being even less of your time and really getting used to people paying you for your wisdom and your expertise and your information versus your time, 
there's all these little nigglies that we go through in each phase of our business that I don't know that people really spend a lot of time talking about. Mm, yeah, I, you know, again, I'm thinking of myself and I, that's something I've been going through the past year. I, I keep going, oh, are my rates too high? Are my rates too low? Like, should I be charging more? And then I'm like, well, no one's going to ever pay that for my knowledge. Even though I have like eight years experience knowledge, I think, well, no one's going to pay that. And that's just my mindset of, you know, what I feel I'm worth, which is dumb, but. (laughs) Well, the thing about money is like in our business, people who are price shopping, yeah, probably won't pay more than 197 for some sort of digital training program, right? But people that are um, higher level entrepreneurs pay for outcomes. They don't pay for um, price, right? So they're willing, even if, even if it's one hour of your time, but it's going to make them $50,000, they're willing to pay you $5,000 for like a comprehensive consultation or strategy plan or something you're going to cook up for them because they can see the outcome and they see the obvious path to the return on their investment. Yeah, that's very, very true. So what do you feel like has been your biggest frustration as an entrepreneur? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> well, I mean, you could, you don't have to narrow it down to one. <laughs> I think that the biggest frustration I've had is with me and my own stuff, right? So I I'm still a recovering lone wolf. It was always easier for me to do things on my own. I just never wanted to bother people for support. And I didn't know how to duplicate. Like I didn't know how someone was going to duplicate what I did because it felt too unique. Like I didn't know how someone could step in and essentially be an extension of me. I had all these reasons why I needed to do it all on my own. And I still have to catch myself to um, let myself be supported because you know, like most of us, we're smart. We wouldn't be entrepreneurs if we weren't smart. So we can figure things out. We're resourceful. We persevere. We know our stuff, like whatever it is that we've packaged our business around, we know our stuff. So in a lot of ways, we don't need support. And yet the very thing that moves us forward is support. And I have to remember that, that every time I'm ready to grow, it's not going to be me trying to you know, squinch my forehead together and like figure it out, right? And problem solve it. It's going to be by me hiring someone. Even if I don't really know why I'm hiring them, a lot of times it's just because I've opened the gateway of being supported and I've set, and then that's my cue to the, that's my sign to the universe basically to say, yeah, okay, guys, I'm ready to be supported. Yeah. So that's been my biggest frustration. I would say the second frustration is team, as I think most people have, because A, if you're not used to being supported, especially in the beginning, I didn't even know how to delegate. I didn't know how to tell people what I needed. I didn't know how to translate what was in my head in a way that someone else could follow along. And then um, additionally, I think that you know you, the same team members that get you to a certain level aren't always, not necessarily, but aren't always the same team members that get you to the next level. So it's, um, it takes a lot of energy to hire people and train them and kind of get them acclimated to the culture of your company. And then at some point, if you have to move on, it's easy to stay stuck and it's easy to just stay in limbo for a bit because you already know it's going to be some effort to onboard someone new. (laughs) So that's, that's definitely been, you know, a source of, I don't want to say frustration, but it's definitely been a growth opportunity for me. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And for me too, I've kept 
assistants and stuff before because I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to fire them. Like I like them. They're good people and I don't want to hurt their feelings. And, you know, it's like a whole, like, I'm so nice. And then I'm like, but they're not helping me grow to the next level. So you kind of just have Mm -hmm. to get over that, which is hard for me. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think the other frustration of that is that in the online space, there's a lot of, and I'm all for charging what you're worth. Obviously, that's what I stand for. And then there's kind of a ridiculous level of price point that I'm seeing in the online space because it's just become the norm to pay like 120 bucks for a business manager. Well, that's not, actually not a normal investment. If you were going to hire a full-time employee to be a full-time business manager in your business, you'd maybe be paying any, depending on what their skill set was, anywhere between like 50 to 70K a year yeah. for full-time. Right. So there's a lot of inflated pricing. And because of that, and then on top of the inflated pricing, I find comes an energy of entitlement where people feel that um, they can deliver whatever they damn well please when they damn well please and they'll meet their deadlines. They won't meet your deadlines. And I'll be, you know, like it's just a different world. So it's also about finding people that actually have the skill. Is my big filter now when I hire is I it's not enough for you to tell me that you're willing to learn entrepreneur. You either know entrepreneur or you don't. That's the system I use, for example, right? That's just yeah. one of many. So I'm not willing to pay someone to learn skills that are transferable to all the other businesses that I'm going to serve. They need to come in and already have those skills or they need to learn it on their own time. And I only hire now when people have something to bring to my business and they have a demonstrated history of constantly staying on top of the latest trends. Because when mm-hmm. I have to pass on to my team, like I've just done recently, where I'm like, what's this thing, Kartra, I'm hearing of? Oh, I haven't heard of it. I'm like, well, that's not acceptable. If all these people are talking about it and I'm learning about it from my colleagues and an immense amount of colleagues, you should already know about this because you should be on the pulse of what's going on in the online space, right? Technology-wise. Yeah. That's I what think- I hire you to do. I think it's hard for a lot of people, people kind of stay in their lane and they don't, they're not constantly moving or learning. For me, I am constantly learning. That's part of what I love about working online. I'm, I try, I've tried car drive, I've tried ClickFunnels, I've, you know, I'm learning different ads suites. I'm working with different coaches. Like I'm just, I'm always learning and having my hands in different things because I never want to get stuck in, oh, I'm just the girl that does Facebook or I'm just the girl that does X, Y, and Z because you never know. Facebook could just go belly up one day and then I'm like, well, shit, what do I do now? I don't know anything else. (laughs) So it pays to always be learning and growing and understanding new things because, you know, that is what makes owning your own business and working for yourself so much more fun and also so much more challenging. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, the cool thing is the upside of entrepreneurship, even with all the highs and lows and for people that like, if we're willing to take the highs, we have to be willing to take the lows as well. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing overall is that we're getting paid to grow and evolve as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, you know, on a meta level, that's what it boils down to. And, uh, and all the other perks that come along with that of having our own schedule and being our own boss. And if we're going to work as hard as we do, at least that money's going in our own pocket rather than, you know, into some employer's pocket, things like that. Yeah. So 
if anybody is listening, who any lady who wants to start her own business, what would be your first piece of advice to her if she's just getting started and she's like, well, crap, what do I do? What would, what would you have told your oh. past self? I think I would still do what I did. Like don't, sometimes we have FOMO and we feel like we want to jump in like everyone else and we feel impatient and we don't want to miss the, the train. But um, just spend some time immersing yourself in the language and maybe joining some Facebook groups or groups on LinkedIn or wherever it's going to be or even in-person meetup groups and stuff that are about business. Just getting used to, is this for me? Because I've coached enough people over the years that have decided, you know what, entrepreneurship's not for me. And in all honesty, it wasn't. They just didn't have the, the drive for it, right? And rather than going and investing a boatload of money in starting a business, and realizing that you don't really love it or you're not really clear on what you want to offer, just go and spend some time with entrepreneurs, identify some people that are doing things that you think looks pretty cool, study them a little more to figure out, are they offering something I actually get excited about getting out of bed in the morning and then figure out what they're doing because success leaves signals, right? And cues. So the successful people are obviously doing something that's going to illuminate for you where you want to start. Yeah. That's, that's very true. One, I do think it's a certain type of person that becomes an entrepreneur. I know I have a ton of friends that work normal nine to five jobs and they look at what I do and they think there is no way in hell <laughs> that I would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. They're like, you fail and you just get right back up. She's like, there's, you know, they're like, oh, there's some months when you don't make good money. They just can't deal with the inconsistency. And for me, I kind of like that because it's a challenge. And it's, I don't mm-hmm. know, it's, every day is different. And I love that. And I did not get that in a normal nine to five job. It was boring. Every day was the same. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I agree with the networking piece. You know, I did, I was like you, I was kind of a lone wolf when I first started. And I kind of wish, I don't have FOMO either, but I do kind of wish I had inserted myself in more places so that I could have gotten used to the idea of what a successful business looks like before I really got started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of it's invaluable, right? Like I'm sure you feel that way too. We still learn. It's just at some point we realize, oh, I don't need to learn the hardware anymore and I don't need to, to lose a lot of money to learn the same lesson. If I'm going to, yeah. if I'm going to lose money and I say lose loosely, I'd rather pay a mentor to speed up my growth rather than lose it to some shady business person that I lost $10,000 because I didn't know any better, you know, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. I think much like you said, uh, hiring a coach or a mentor is so invaluable to business growth because you can speed up that you I, cause I know I made a crap ton of mistakes when I first started because I did not know what I was doing. I was just going off the advice of, you know, people in other Facebook groups or, you know, somebody, friend of a friend of a friend told me I should do this. And that's not always the best advice, but working with someone who has has the experience and has built businesses and has helped clients can just really change the way you see business and change the way you do life. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And I would recommend to that end because I know people get nervous about hiring people in the online space because there's all kinds of rumors about who's, who's worthy of learning from and who's not. A, you have to trust your gut. B, you have to watch for testimonials. Yeah. And they have to be like results testimonials, not like, I hired Jennifer because she's nice and I finally felt understood. No, like that's not a good testimonial. That's great. But I hired Jennifer within 30 days. I had already doubled my income and made back my investment. I'd mm-hmm. rather read a result like that if I'm going to hire someone rather than, oh, they were nice and I feel like I have so much more clarity. (laughs) That means nothing to me. But additionally, for the love of all things holy, stop hiring business coaches that have been in business for two years. They claim, and we don't know if it's true, oh, I made six figures in the first six months. I'm going to show you how. They don't know what they're doing. Some coach set them up. They had a one-hit wonder, and I'm guaranteeing you this. I can tell you because they come to me all the time wondering why they can't sustain their success and they're wanting coaching from me. So don't hire people that are coaching you on the six or seven-figure path when they've barely been in business and they're claiming that they had a six-figure launch or they had a six-figure year. It doesn't even mean that it's not true. It just means that they still don't even really know what they're doing yet. So they're gonna. it's the blind leading the blind. Yeah. If they've been in business for maybe five years, okay, fine. But anything less than five years, uh, first of all, a lot of times people aren't honest and they won't say that they had a 10K a month Facebook ad spend to make $10,500. So they actually didn't make a six figure launch. (laughs) And, um, And I'm much more interested in someone that's had a multiple six figure profit year then, and additionally, um, too, I noticed that a lot of people will say they're a seven figure business owner when they've been in business for 10 years and over 10 years, they've made seven figures, but they leave that part out and it somehow comes out later. So as, as people that are going to hire mentors, we have to ask the right questions yeah. and it's not even enough to get a referral from someone, you know, because just because that person worked for that one person, it doesn't mean they're going to work for you. Right. Yeah. I 100% agree that story of people being like, oh, I made six figures and my life is amazing is pretty much exactly why I started this podcast (laughs) because I needed women to hear the reality of starting a business, owning a business, running a business. Not that you can't make that happen, but that is not the story for a majority of women in business. And I get so frustrated in these Facebook groups of these women being like, I started my business two months ago and I've made six figures and I'm living in Bali and, you know, look how happy I am. That smells of bullshit to me. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, it is. Yeah. It just, it's not, not to say that it can't be easy, but it, it has to be a thing that some coach is telling other people to say. I feel like I say the see say this see the same copy all the time in Facebook groups. It's like the exact same thing over and over. It's like, oh, this is where I was. This is where I wanted to be. This is where I am. And I did it in two months. Okay, great. That's good for you, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah. And we're so intuitive as women, whether we really own that or not. Like we can smell a, a pile of horse shit a mile away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ladies, not to be, you know, 
get down on you if you've said that or if you've worked with a coach that said that. You know, some of these ladies are really good, but I think Jennifer is right. Some of them are really good at sales and hooking people, and they may not actually have everything they promise to you, and then you're out of money, and that sucks. But mm-hmm. it's kind of a lesson you got to learn, I guess. You, but do listen to your intuition. If something feels too good to be true, chances are it probably is too good to be true. Um, that's why I never promise an exact number or exact conversion rate or whatever for my ads clients because every client is different. Every course is different. Every launch is different. And something that may have worked for one client would not work for you, Jennifer. Like, it really depends on so many different factors, and it's the same thing in coaching. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Look at us going down this rabbit hole. I know. Sorry, guys. Apparently, we were frustrated at the coaching world. <laughs> and it's it's funny. Sometimes my husband is like, He's like, I don't even understand what you're saying. All you're talking about is like manifesting and coaches and all these buzzwords. And he's like, can you just speak English? (laughs) Uh I'm just in this world so much that it feels like, oh, everybody clearly knows what this stuff means. And then when I step back from it, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, not everybody talks like this or thinks about these words or these courses or whatever all day long. So it's, it's funny I kind of get in a groove when I talk to somebody else that understands my language so (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that's funny so as we wrap up if anybody wants to get in touch with you how can they do that and if you have anything you want to plug feel free to plug it here well, I am going to be releasing a free masterclass on being divinely compensated for your purpose. So that's Ooh. going to come out next week. So the best place to find out about that is to get on my list and then you'll be getting the heads up on that. So I have a free money download. It's called it's um, www.souljourneys.ca forward slash money. And that'll give you a whole bunch of freebies to get you going on getting clear on what your money blocks are and how to shift them. And then I also spend, I surprisingly, even though I brought LinkedIn up, I don't spend a lot of time there. I actually spend a lot of time in my Facebook group, which is called the Purpose Posse. And um, we have a lot of fun in there because we're talking about how to scale a spiritual business. So those are probably the two best places for people to find me. Great. That's awesome. Well, you guys should definitely join her group. And... I will be speaking in her group soon. So if you want to hear more from me, you know, go check that out. And if you're listening to, listening to this later, you can probably find the video in the group later on. But I'm so excited we got to chat and you got to be on this podcast. No. Thank you, LinkedIn, well, thank to bring you for you, bringing us together. So, <laughs> oh, awesome. Cool. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll go and follow Jennifer. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Thank you for joining me for the Biz Babes with Soul podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. To learn more about me, Melody Spencer, and the show, please visit swiftlysocial.com.